Thrice the brinded cat hath mewed. Thrice and once the hedge pig whined. Harpier cries, tis time, tis time. Round about about the cauldron go. In the poisoned entrails throw. Toad that under cold stone. Days and nights has thirty-one. Sweltered venom sleeping got. Boil thou first in the charmed pot. Double, double toil and trouble. Fire burn and cauldron bubble. Fillet of a fenny snake. In the cauldron boil and bake. Eye of newt and toe of frog. Wool of bat and tongue of dog. Adder's fork and blind worm's sting. Lizard's leg and owlet's wing. For a charm of powerful trouble. Like a hell broth boil and bubble. Double, double toil and trouble. Fire burn in cauldron bubble. Scale of dragon, tooth of wolf. Which is mummy, maw, and gulf of the raven, salt sea shark, root of hemlock digged in the dark, liver of blaspheming Jew, gall of coat, and slips of yew, silvered in the moon's eclipse, nose of Turk, and Tartar's lips, finger of birth strangled babe, ditch delivered by a drab, make the gruel thick and slab, and there to a tiger's children. For the ingredients of our cauldron, cool it with baboon's blood. Then the charm is firm and good. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. Greetings, greetings and salutations. My name is Clinton, and this is OK Talk. Tonight, I'm honored to bring you a conversation with one of my favorite people in the world. This guy, well, he's the captain call to my Augustus McRae. One of the most legendary Texans in existence. He's a person you've heard me reference before to those of you who have been paying attention. Now I'm introducing you to him in proper fashion. For the first time, I consider myself honored and blessed to have run across many people who in their own right could be characters. Not exactly sure how the stars aligned in such a way put many of us on the same plane of existence at the same location, but I'm sure happy with the architect's machinations. One of the two people in my life whom I consider to be thicker with me than anyone else. And I want to take a minute to thank you, Josh, for everything you've done for me, man. You made me a better man. 
and I'm blessed to be able to call you my friend. Now, let's dispense with the pleasantries, Commander. The story picks up here after I broached the subject of the strange and unusual with my boy last night over cocktails. Wouldn't be until today that after doing a little bit of uh, background searching that I think that we located and discovered exactly what it was that Josh and his friends saw that night on that dark highway down south the legend of the Lechusa thanks for listening to OK Talk to me and, and what I gather is that it's never exactly the same thing like a lot of these things with Sasquatch it's always the same thing people are like you know or the grays when people like say oh this alien creature you know it's like always the same thing and draw a picture it's not really that way uh on the edwards plateau it's all it's almost more like some kind of shape-shifting type of thing that's never quite the same and always takes whatever form in the time that it needs or wants you know right well see i thought that too especially with that that Abilene thing seemed like it was Native American. Oh yeah, that sounded like related to me. I mean, they're tying yep. it to uh, that trail, one of those trail of tears types of things outside of Abilene. But the this dude and I got I'm I'm. They did kill I, a ton of Choctaw out there. Yeah, in the Key City. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they did. <laughs> they did kill a number of them. the Bop City. <laughs> I was thinking that um, there's this dude, and I don't know who he is, but he's the one that's been rattling off a lot of these tales that works in construction down there. And a lot of uh, a lot of them that he's pulled out are like they're like Hispanics that have lived on the same like stretch of land, and it's like a generational thing that these like you know great grandpa had some situations with. Yeah. This walking Whoa. dog. So, like, the thing that the guys Bush and I saw back in, what was that, 98? It was when that hurricane came clear across into Del Rio. We'd been out in the bend. And uh, out there, Bonewater Road. You know, you remember Sanderson used to be the federal peyote growery out there and that had that big sign going down 90 that said, Welcome to Sanderson, Strange People, Funny Cactus. Like yeah, a yeah, big yeah, billboard. Yeah. It's still, I, at least, I don't know, I hadn't been there in six or eight years, but it was up for many years after that federal grocery was decommissioned. But, uh, so there's a road, you go past that, like almost a drive, like you're going into Marathon, but you're, you hadn't left Terrell County yet. There's this road, and it's a, it's a county road, but it goes through private land. It's a caliche road, and so on either side is a fence, for most of the way but then there's certain areas where it's open grazing across property lines and so people get pissed if you take it but it goes clear down to the Rio Grande and you know this is a place in the Rio Grande where it's, it's you know unlike Trump and all the idiots that think that the border is some kind of like something other than desert you know it, it's one of those places like you just go 
down there, just like when I took you to Bokia, same thing, you go through some reeds, and you're like, border, right, right, so anyways, uh, we were heading down there, and we, uh, we came over this hill, and, and saw this thing, and, uh, you know, undoubtedly, all the, all the, you know, Tejanos and Mexicans for generations would have said is Chupacabra, right, I mean, I, I mean, I have almost no doubt. And that's what I, when I tell people, I'm like, yeah, you know, I've seen that shit. But I don't really know, um, you know, what, how to describe a six foot tall owl with hooves. But, you know, the thing is, is there's stuff out there and I don't think it's always the same every time someone sees it. You know what I mean? So what, so what did you see though? You guys were in the car? Yeah, we're, we're in the Blue Ghost in that half ton Chevy. And, uh, you know, we, David was running the Q-beam out the window. To, to see and you know kind you of spotlight well not it's private property we weren't trying to kill anything or whatever but we were, looking. we were looking to see what we could see and plus you know how it is it gets dark out there in the desert i mean the headlights on an old early 90s pickup aren't you know they're all yellow and stuff so and there's herds of sheep like i said like it's open grazing for like a quarter mile and then there'll be fence lines again and a cattle guard and you just keep crossing and it's it's a good 45 miles on Kalichi road like you know right. nothing out there and so yeah you know extra million candle power type of thing and uh we uh we got up on the the hill the the peak of it there's like a saddle and once you start over that saddle it's all downhill all the way to the rio and so we get up where you're getting up to the saddle and uh so i told david i said okay it's all downhill from now from here I'm gonna just I'm gonna turn that headlights off and run the parking lights and, and just idle down the rest of the way. It's another like five miles, you know, to the river from there. And as soon as I get to the top of the hill, I I turn the the uh, headlamps off and, and David put the cubing down. He like it was down in the bar ditch, you know, pointed down. And he reached down something, and I was like, what What's that? You know, because I just saw something and I reached to turn the lights back on and as I hit the lights he brought the Q-beam up and this thing standing on and this is like four strand barbed wire right that's all it is it's just you know it's a four foot high barbed wire fence like you'd see anywhere and one of the line posts which was a railroad tie um, had this thing standing up on it. you know I mean easy five six foot tall and like the moment that I saw it, it made me reach for the lights. I saw it lean forward, like bend at its waist or whatever. And I, when I hit the lights and he brought the QB and back up, this thing is in a in a glide across the road, maybe I don't know, 50, 60 feet in front of us. And uh, the one thing that I remember is when David brought the QB up and like tried to chase it, was a, on the ass end of this thing was I expected to see because it looked like a huge ra like a huge raptor you know what I mean like that's what I, my initial thought was this is a huge raptor um, and you expect to see it you know kind of dragging the, the you know the talons and it was like the hooves of a bovine or a ruminant and then it just disappeared in the blackness and I stopped and it, David went out the window and put the Q-beam over over the hood I mean over the the roof of the, the truck and there's nothing 
is a herd of sheep over there in a dead sprint, but nothing else. What color was it? You know, I, I hesitate to say. I mean, it to me it looked like it looked it looked like very light browns and tan, and then um, somewhere in the middle of the of the body uh, was you know some white and black, but but small. You know, not unlike a, a raptor. But I mean, this thing was like my size. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, it wasn't, you know, and I know the raptors out there. You got peregrines to the west about 50 miles in Black Gap. You'll see some of those. And then over in the Chisos, those are tiny birds, you know. They're like 12 inches tall, super fast. Then you got, there's a handful of owls out there. Some of them get pretty big, but nothing like that, you know. Yeah. Nothing even close. Um, So, you know. What, did you, did you see any kind of, like, uh facial situation yeah it was about the size of a dinner plate and round did you see eyes uh yeah i mean reflection but not like what what color was the reflection do you remember i don't i want to say i want to say um goldish amber oh you know not quite to that spectrum where you're like mountain lion red but you know goldish amber not like almost like you'd hit uh, a cow you know with a cubium And so you saw it on one side, and then it took off and glided? Yeah. And how far above you would you say it was before it took off? Like, was the embankment? I'd say I'd say it's feet, hose, whatever, on the top of that line post, or about even with my head. So it was on the top of the barbed wire fence? It was on the line post, yeah. It was on a post. Oh, shit. Standing on a post. And, you know, it's funny, because I... Yeah, I told just a ton of people about it. Like 10 years later, I talked to David about it, and, and I was like, you remember that thing? And, and he's like, yeah. He's like, I mean, hooves? <laughs> and I was like, that's exactly it. 10 years later, because we didn't even, t- I mean, that night we didn't talk about it much, I'll tell you why. A rancher called somebody, whoever the hell it was, and a sheriff shows up out there. Right, I mean, like we didn't even get all the way down to the river, and coming up from the river is the sheriff, and he pulls us over, and you know, he's like, you know, this is private property, and I was like, well, sir, this Bonewater Road is a county road, and he's like, but but this is all private property. I'm like, but we're on the road, sir, and he was like, basically, pulled us out of the truck, emptied the old truck out, pulled the shotguns and stuff out. So you got sweated right afterwards. Yeah. We, in fact, we never made it to the river that night. We pulled back out, drove all the way back to 90, and then drove into the bend and, and pitched the tent. So did you see, like, legs hanging down then when you say it's gliding? What were the, like, what was the proportion of the leg to the body size? About half. Really? Yeah. About half. Hooves. Yeah, I mean, that's what it looked like, man. Who knows, but that's what it looked like. Yeah, it was the same thing it stuck in David's head years later. So, I, you know, I know, you know, it's like one of those things where you ask yourself if you're making it up. Right. And then, you know, but. Anyways, like I said, I hadn't 
really talk to too many people about it. Uh, I think I probably told you about it at some point along the way, but yeah, I, I mentioned it to my granddad at at, uh, uh, at one point because he's you know he's had his run-ins with weird stuff he couldn't explain, and he's not you know he doesn't believe in any of that. You know what I mean? Obvious. If it's, yeah, if it's not in the Bible, and, <laughs> you know what I mean. But but yeah, uh, uh, you know he seemed to he seemed like pretty pretty accepting of it like almost as if you know I mean never would say oh I've seen something like that but he was like yeah because he the reason I brought it up to him was he used to basically he used to have grazing rights on uh, 32,000 acres in between Comstock and the Terrell County line on the Valverde side which is that same area is about you know 30 miles back to the east of where we were there and uh, in fact that was the first property I ever saw uh a big cat on, you know, Puma, and, uh, yeah, I mean, there's weird, you know, there's weird stuff out there, that's, you know, I mean, weird stuff. Well, I'm not gonna lie, it tripped me out when I heard, like, outside of Wimberley and Buda, and I thought it was really interesting, the whole Hispanic connection, but, it didn't sound like um, it didn't sound like it was a situation where like oh there was a shaman in the area that was wrecking shop, skinwalking and what have you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to think about any of it, but I tend to believe that that has more to do with it, um, just because the inconsistent inconsistency of the report, you know. To me, it feels more like a Mescalito-type situation than any kind of, you know, Sasquatch type of, like, consistent, everyone sees the same thing type of deal, but, um, but I know, like, all those Huacol and Yaki down there will tell you that's a goat sucker, you know? I remember the first time I really heard that was reading uh, Jurassic Park South America and they're using the term raptor as to explanation as to what's happening and it's actually uh, you know a, a dinosaur down there that's doing this but that was the beginning of his contention of you know remember this was before dinosaurs were birds I mean Crichton helped get that whole theory out but it was the, you know, like they were fucking shit up in farmhouses. It wasn't, yeah, Mescalito. I mean, come on. It also, though, makes me think about the, always go back to the Don Juan story about seeing the dog walking on two feet that was stealing the cheese out of the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh... That's about the size of it. I think we're going to have to go back in here to get a drink. Quick sidebar before we drop back in on the conversation. Josh had a meeting today and a late flight this evening. Traveling to his next destination. But, uh, in thinking 
on his tail. I did a little bit of reading, and like any good read, it began with a Google search. Owls with hooves. And it brought up a name that I had read before, but for whatever reason had slipped both of our minds. It brings up the legend of the Lechuza. The Lechuza are either shape-shifting witches or spirits in Hispanic folklore. The tales of the Lechuza are quite popular in Mexico and Texas. They're said to be human-sized birds, sometimes with a woman's face. The Lechuza are said to be women who have sold their souls to the devil in exchange for magical powers. And at night, they transform into monsters with a bird's body and or a woman's face, similar to the depictions of harpies in Greek mythology. They fly through the night in search of prey. In some versions of the story, the Lechuza is the spirit of a witch who was murdered by the locals. Her spirit returns in the form of a bird monster to get revenge. In other tales, the Lechuza is the vengeful spirit of a woman who has returned from the grave to torment the living and to seek revenge. In modern times, most reported run-ins with the witch bird involve her swooping down at cars, driving deserted roads at night. As a witch, Lechuza possesses supernatural powers. One of the powers of the Lechuza is to summon storms. Sightings of Lechuza are believed to coincide with thunderstorms. After hearing this, I texted Josh and I asked him, Do you remember if there was by chance any storms in the area after your encounter? I told him to record his answer and send it to me. And this is what I received. Curious why why you would even ask about a storm, but in fact, um one of the most hellacious storms that I've ever seen, uh, especially in that area, the desert. I mean, thunderstorms, violent, short, heavy rainfall for a minute, very common. But I mean, the kind of storm that met us when we worked our way back out of the Bonewater Road area uh, was, I mean, a tropical storm. There's no other way to describe it. I think they named it Charlie. It was devastating rainfall, 70-knot winds, that kind of situation. Um, completely out of character for that Trans-Pecos region. and just really, really caught us off guard, uh, you know. But it, it seemed nominal in comparison to what we had just experienced, you know. Tropical Storm Charlie was the third-named storm of the 1998 Atlantic hurricane season. The storm originated with a tropical wave that moved off the West African coast on August 9th, arriving in the southeastern Gulf of Mexico by August 19th, before the morning of August 24th, 
when it settled near the town of Del Rio, Texas. Not only was it a storm in the wake of that, which is something I really never associated with that part of the trip anyways, for whatever reason in my mind, they've been separate, but uh, the storm, in fact, you know, we were stranded. We, we stopped and we stayed with David's sister's boyfriend who was coaching football at Del Rio High School on account of we couldn't get out of Del Rio that night, um, you know, which we'd already been on the road two hours from the, you know, where we had our, our run-in. Um, and, you know, we ended up having to post up in Del Rio overnight thinking that it would be better in the morning. And when we got up in the morning, there were double wides with people on the roofs uh, flowing down the Rio Grande towards the Gulf uh, at what seemed like breakneck speed, just like slamming into bridge embankments. And I mean, it was, I want to say like 20, 20 or more people died. Charlie's impacts in Texas and Mexico were locally severe. In Texas, over 2,000 homes were destroyed by the local flooding. In Mexico, over 12 inches of rain fell near the border. The storm's major impact was its rain, a 90-mile-wide swath of over three inches of rainfall extended from the middle Texas coast west to the Texas-Mexico border. Charlie produced 17 inches of rain in Del Rio in a 24-hour period, a new record daily rainfall for the city. In Valverde County, which took the vast majority of the damage, at one point, two-thirds of Del Rio was underwater after a natural dam broke in the San Felipe Creek, flooding the city with a sudden surge of water. Four people, including two toddlers, died when their truck was swept away by floodwaters, and nine more drowned in flooding along the creek. Charlie left 50 million in flood damage across southern Texas. Eight counties were declared disaster areas. In Mexico, heavy rain caused serious flooding. In places like Acuna, 450 homes were damaged in the city, and over 2,000 people were injured. In Nuevo Laredo, Heavy rains swelled the Rio Grande and caused significant flooding. 350 families were evacuated, and the city lost power and phone service. And seven people died in Acuna while they were trying to cross a flooded gully. Up to this point, obviously, I've, well, maybe it's not obvious, but I've never made the association between that thing that I just thought was some kind of a strange chupacabra-type thing and, and a witch or... or that kind of you know which thing but now that I'm looking at it like that it sort of makes sense because everything surrounding it and, and that followed it did seem cursed frankly um, you know I got pulled over when I finally did leave Del Rio apparently uh, US 90 was supposedly closed like how you would know that I don't know but I got past the Air Force Base out there Laughlin Air Force Base and I followed a big rig through a, a wall of water and a dry uh, creek bed and almost got slammed up against this guardrail, but because of the wake of that big rig, I made it through. And then I got pulled over by a trooper who, as he's writing me this ticket, I remember it like it's yesterday because this ticket was a major ass pain. The judge was named Dorothy Weddle and was like a pain in my ass forever. And years later, I was arrested because of that ticket in Lampasas County on the way to a show that you, sir, Clint, were a party to. And I think maybe you bailed me out of jail. That ticket, I mean, everything that happened in the wake of that sighting, now that I think about it, everything. It was just a curse.
Josh's memory serves him correct. In fact, I did post bail. The scalp he got out of county still sits at a drawer in my house. It's a orange jumper that says Lampasas County on the back. Pleasanton, Poth, uh, out towards Gonzales. There are a number of them, but um, we found one uh, that it actually, as it was attacking some white-tailed deer, and it got killed uh, by a small buck about three or four hundred meters from us. And uh, we got up to it, and it was already decomposing and just, yeah, I mean, literally like within minutes was completely necrotic you know um and yeah I didn't know I hadn't heard about this Elmendorf beast thing at the time but we uh could barely stand being near it it was so gross and rotten you know um so you saw it when it was alive and then yeah we saw it three or four hundred yards uh across a you know cultivated peanut field or it had been disced over you know um right along the fence line and uh it was you know there were three or four deer up there and we saw them scatter and run in circles and a bunch of hideous noise and then you know the small buck of the group that was clearing shit out and uh then the deer bolted and we got up there and there's a bunch of uh white belly hair and little pieces of flesh attached to it around the thing and then it had an abdominal like gore wound you know and it yeah it was just it was decomposed like completely almost when we got there and it was just like falling apart and stunk like I mean like you'd imagine something had been dead six seven days you know like just and in a humid environment where nothing screwed with it and it just bloated and and uh so you know i this was right i mean the very very early days of uh having um you know digital cameras and so dr burnside had a little digital camera and we took a couple pictures of it you know and uh anyways uh you know we were so just fascinated and mind blown by this little thing that um, we took a cult to San Antonio Zoo and uh, you know basically asked if there were any like zoologists or anyone that could maybe try to identify it or tell us you know was it some kind of rabbit or diseased 
you know, canine or what was it? Um, because it was like, it had, you know, its front legs were significantly shorter than the rear legs and it was, had a purplish skin, you know, almost like Chihuahua skin, you know. And, How big was it? Uh, I'd say, I don't know, I'm guessing it was probably 8 to 12 pounds, maybe, you know, pretty thin and gangly though, like, you know, so maybe, I don't know, if it had been standing up, maybe 12 to 14 inches at the shoulder and 25 inches long. And, and anyways, it was going after deer? Yeah. No, I mean, like, and I mean, just an idiotic play, like, you know, wild animal would try it type of thing, you know, alone like that. So anyways, uh, but they said that, you know, there's this cryptic, cryptic zoologist that uh, apparently taught at Trinity and worked at the San Antonio Zoo that, that I guess, you know, saw the pictures and was like, he called and said, well, I'd like to go get the remains. And so, you know, the next day we took him out there and it was uh, just completely, you know, was even further, you know, necrotic, like almost like just like the cape and hide over some soft rotten bones and he took the uh skull and some other parts of it and later said that although he couldn't identify it he thought it was very strange that the jaw separated like a reptile, like an alligator. It had the same type of structure as a as an alligator. Which it didn't look anything like a reptile, you know. No semblance, um, but yeah, that was another very weird thing down in that area. I wonder who that cryptozoologist was. You know, I don't know, but I bet we could find out. It wasn't he? He taught at Trinity. Yeah, he taught a couple courses at Trinity, and he and he worked at the San Antonio Zoo. So I'm sure we could figure out. I guarantee he's been to the Texas Bigfoot Conference. <laughs> he's a cryptozoologist in yeah. South Texas. It'd have to be. Yeah. Wouldn't you know, he'd probably end up being one of Dadis Perry's Facebook friends. Probably. He could join the masses. That's real weird. I want to go get a small ale before we call it done. They've got some uh, English-appropriate winches that work here also. Rather sharp with their tongue. Heavy with the bust. Can't have enough of them. Sounds about right. Also, uh, earlier, I've been kind of keeping a conversation about the wolf thing going with a couple of different people. One of whom is over in Kent. And, uh, after I'd like uh, shared that picture of the poster or what have you, he was like, uh, "Man, you got me, uh, you got me googling werewolf sightings in my own town." And it, I don't know why it took me like a full day, and I was like, "Wait a minute! I mean, you're in the most famous of famous. There's a hairy-handed gent that's been running amok in Kent. Lately, he's been overheard." Ow! 
But uh, anyway, I was like, uh, I was telling somebody, um, you know, my buddy was like, well, you did hit a, uh, a skinwalker, you know, out there on the old... Uh, the devil dog, yeah. The 666. Yeah. And I, um, I heard this guy, he was on uh, uh, this dude that lives up in Seattle that's a DJ... It's into the weird stuff. He's the uh, promoter that puts on the the Sasquatch Summit, and he's also hosted a Paracon. He's going to become a player at some point. Yeah. But he was talking to this dude, Chris O'Brien. I want to say his name was. He was the uh, he was the first person before old George Knapp. He was the first person that did anything with uh, Skinwalker Ranch. Before what's his ass bought it, and put all those scientists out there and everything. He was like the first person that had anything about it in his book. He was investigating a few different. I think he said that there was a lady out that way that was like possessed, sort of. And um, there was, they called like a priest out there. Like he went to investigate the house and he was like, something's wrong with that girl, Yeah. basically. And he was like, I know somebody who's a demonologist if you're interested in maybe trying to get rid of that thing. And uh, he was like, well, come to find out whatever was going on with her was a curse that was put on by a shaman or a brujo or whatever. And uh, that's when it started coming at me. I love how so matter-of-fact he was about it. But Johnny's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, oh, you know, they're real big on the slapping the side of your house. But the thing is, is they go around it real fast, like faster than a human could do. And they're knocking on. And he looked out the side of his, uh, he was in the bathroom. And he just like took a glance out the window. And there was a dude out there with fucking antlers standing just outside of the range of the light. And every time I think the person with the antlers, that gets me. Yeah. I'm convinced you need to do some of your recordings down there where the Pecos hits the real grand in those caves. Because that's, uh, you know, all those shaman, uh, you know, paintings of, of shaman with antlers in there and they creep me out I used to go up in there when I was a kid and it's just like you can feel the aura of something you know um, and it's not necessarily bad you know what I mean that's the interesting thing about that area is like I, I never really got like a uh, a mal feeling uh, around there, but it is—it's still creepy, you know what I mean? Because it's—it's it's so present. Um, and there, are, uh, you know, there's a couple of uh, different groups of hippies with like John boats that will take tourists, you know, up up through there and uh, take them into the caves and stuff. But uh, um, yeah, there's. You know, another very interesting thing is, is like to mark a shaman's death is they they 
they put them in like a cross, you know, kind of figuration upside down. So like it's they have like calendars in there where they like mark the different tribal leaders' deaths upside down in the in the cross. Yikes! Yeah, it's pretty interesting stuff. But yeah, there's there's actually one, and then if you go to Santa Atlanta, uh, Santa Atlanta Canyon, uh, there are some of those paintings that are 60, 80, 100 foot tall. And you're like, how the hell did they? You know, on those walls, like, I don't even know how they would have painted them. Hanging from ropes or, I don't know. Something. See, that's why I think the main situation is out there at that Devil's Creek. That. You kind of get the feeling that just like the way that people use the term skinwalker like some people don't really understand like they think it's a beast or they think it's a man that turns into a beast and really it's just a man witch or a female witch doing ill shit and cloud shaman yeah and up there they call them the stick indians um, indians that were wronged and it almost seems there that particular side of that hill that it's like it has a grudge against the white man period and and I honestly I think that the reason that there's shit that occurs there well open mic night but it must have ended they heard our Hit the fucking eagles call. I I honestly I feel like the and I mean I do believe there to be Sasquatl in the area because Donna has seen them as have shit tons of other people. I think the reason that they kick it there is because they know that whatever's wrong with the land gets people out of there or at least drives them fucking nutty. It is interesting, though, that Hotel California was being sung inside because that just reminds me of the gauge more than Lebowski. Yeah. Did he just say if you have a racist friend? Job, bro. It is very difficult to hear that uh, Eagles song and not think the gauge is going you were spot on with your description of this joint. That's the thing, we have, we could, there are people, there are people that would uh, throw down some coin for some, uh, for some beaner tourist attraction shit down there. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be like a, it doesn't even have to be like a big thing, but there are people that are like knocking on the door already. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually, there's a lot of interesting stuff down there in the bend that's 
I've, uh, you know, in the, in the summertime at night around this place called Castellone, um, there, I've never seen so many rattlesnakes in my life, like, anyway, like, pretty much just, they come out on the roadbeds in the summer to warm up, and I mean, they're everywhere, you know what I mean, like, everywhere, right. every couple hundred foot in every direction, there's a snake, you know, coiled up, warming up on the pavement or, or bar ditch, and there's these ruins that cast alone, and I don't even, I'd be lying if I said I knew the story of them, but... You know, they're there, not unlike the ones you sent me that thing where the people stomped that those mining camp ruins in Lajitas. But these are older. These are, uh, you know, from the early Spanish uh, push. And in fact, I think Castellon might have been one of Coronado's, like, uh, you know, little scout party encampments. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, there's some ruins up there, like on the hill, and then, like, the road out to it, and then kind of, like, some of the cap rock around it is just covered up in snakes in the summer. They all come out there to warm up. And it's the creepiest thing, because it's just like, why are there so many snakes out here, you know? But, uh, yeah, there's some weird stuff out there. And then, you know, you sent me that deal about fish covering the maker, and, of course, that album was recorded at the Starlight Theater, which is an old, decrepit kind of ruins theater out there in Terlingua. There's no roof in it anymore. Like, that's where they set up and recorded that Teatro album, Willie and Lana. Badass. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it? So badass. Uh, seriously, we could just do, like, an LLC for Legend Tripping Texas full coin yeah no doubt I mean Marfa Balmeray Presidio the big thicket out east like oh man that place creeps me out black bears and who knows what else out there <laughs> Sasquattle yeah. apparently Get your rocks off. All right, well, we're about at curfew. And you know, that cop, that state trooper, was standing there by the side of my truck in the torrential rainfall telling me that 90 was closed and I was saying oh yeah 90's closed like you know who the heck are you and he's like no you can't make it to San Antonio and he's writing me a ticket which I was just baffled by I'm like who writes a ticket there's a hurricane in the desert what are you doing and then as he's standing there the dryer arm of my air conditioner in the blue ghost blows off and all the freon literally blows down on it around his legs and he just starts laughing and he's like, aren't those the brakes, you know, or something, ain't that the, you know, whatever. And I was just like, you prick. 
And you know what? I didn't have air conditioning in that truck for the remainder of its existence. Years went by. 100 degree temperatures and stuff. Years. And now that I look back on it, it was that damn witch.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.